Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. Mark and Denise Lewis of Athens, Ohio, found out that their van had been stolen in Dallas. They rented a car to get back home. On their way back, they decided to stop in Hope, Arkansas to see President Clinton's birthplace. Don't ask me why, but they decided to do that. While sitting in the car at a traffic light in Hope, they noticed a van that was also stopped at a light headed in the opposite direction. They saw that the van was red just like theirs. It had pinstripes just like theirs. As a matter of fact, the van passed them by and it had, it had a um, Athens Country Ohio license plate on there. It was their van. So as soon as they saw the van, everybody inside the, the rental began to scream and yell, saying, that's my van, that's our van. Mr. Lewis, 34 years old, said in an interview Friday in the Athens Messenger, he said he followed the van to a shopping center where a woman got out of the van and a man then showed up and entered a store with the woman. At that moment, Mr. Lewis used an extra key, an extra key that he had, got in the van and stole his van back. He got in there, started it up and took off to look for the to look for the police station, and you can actually go on with the story. As, and um, if I was reading it right, I kind of cut it off. If I was reading it right, they, um, the rental that they had was actually stolen also. So it's a crazy story. But anyway, they go and steal their van back, their family van. The reason why I say this this morning is because there are many families today that are living in generational curses. It is as if hell has hijacked their family van with the intention to navigate every family member to a place of sin and despair. But this morning, what we're going to be believing God for is that with His help, that somewhere He can give us an extra key and we can go steal our family van back. That somewhere we can go and break the curse of um, generation and that we can say, you know what? We're going to steal back our family. Say with me, Satan, you can't have my family. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to believe God. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled Killing Curses. Um, This morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, God, that you have given us to come together as your people. God, I pray that you will bless every single family represented this morning, God. We take the anointing oil and break every single yoke of sin. We break every single family curse this morning. God, and I pray that every person in this place may be a representative and ambassador, God, of their families to break, God, with sin And hell has established in their lives. God, we take back our families this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. I want to 
start off my first thought, and that is that each generation has a spiritual climate. There is a standard established by God that we need to live by. It's, this is the moral code. This is why with atheists many times they can't argue when it comes down to morality because all you have to take them is where is that standard of morality if you don't believe in God then what sets that standard can I tell you this morning as Christians we believe that God has established that moral standard I know this is contrary to all liberal and trendy views postmodern views that are uh, that truth is relevant and subjective and that what's true to you may not be true to me but this morning as Christians and as logical, regular human beings, we understand that what's true is true. That there is some absolute truths. Can I get one amen? amen? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35 says this. It says, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. Verse 36, you shall have just balances, just weights, just ephos, and just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, verse 37, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. We have absolutes in life. We have standards. We have things that we either obey or disobey. Our God is a just God. That somewhere he is fair. He knows what he is doing. He has just balances. And this is something that for the long um, Longest of times, this is we had that in mind, especially as Americans. You've seen the picture of Lady Justice. She's blind. And somewhere that the idea is that the judging and everything that we do should be or come to a place of justice. How I many of you guys understand that? And this morning as a Christian, that's how you live. Knowing that we have a standard set by God. There are parameters. There are limits that we have to follow. And the way we create our own spiritual climate is by living in those parameters that God gives us. Not only does each generation have a spiritual climate, but also your own life. You create your own spiritual climate. In our scripture, what we see is God's people rejecting God's law. In the book of Hosea, this is what God is telling Hosea about the people of Israel. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. This word knowledge doesn't just mean a university degree. But it's literally speaking about the knowledge of God's law. It goes into saying, because you have rejected, I reject you. That's pretty just. And he says, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your what? Come on, church. We read it this morning. Your children. No one rejects God and remains neutral. No one leaves the will of God and remains just a normal person. As a matter of fact, once you've been touched by God, you understand that you will never, ever be the same. That your mind will be different. That when you're, I've always said this, nobody backslides successfully. Nobody just leaves God and says, I'm going to have a good life. Somewhere you're tormented. We are, as human beings, or as the creation of God, we are worshipers by default. It's in our nature. This is who we are. We worship. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. This idea of worship, it's idea of hierarchy, that somewhere you submit yourself, you bow down to God. And if you'll be honest with yourself, many times in life you can look back and even pinpoint what you've been worshiping. 
Some of you guys, you, you worship the, the Seahawks. Ooh. <laughs> Some of you guys, you, you worship TV shows. You watch all the reruns of Friends. You watch all kinds of stuff. You worship and you fall and you bow down to all kinds of role models and all kinds of idols. Don't you ever talk about Beyonce to me. Don't talk bad about her. That's Queen Bee. You know, in somewhere you, you, you submit yourself in this, in this place. We are worshipers. This is why the idea of worship is important, that you can lift up your hands and surrender to God. Can I tell you this morning, church, your flesh has the tendency to find something pleasing to submit to. I don't normally quote this man. His name is John Calvin. But what he says is that our heart is an idol factory. That somewhere your heart is constantly seeking. That your mind is constantly seeking to try to create something to submit to, to ignore the standards of God and submit to this. Can I tell you this morning, Christian, that the reason why our nation is seeing what it is seeing is because we have turned from our covenant with God. It's not because we have Donald Trump in office. Amen? It's not because there is not enough regulations on guns. It's not, it's not even a political issue. The reason why America is going through what it's going, the reason why on the news you see all the evil things, the reason why there is a weird spiritual climate in America is simply because we have turned away from God. It's this, it's this scripture in Hosea chapter 4 where it says, if you forget my law, then I'll forget your children. It was Edwin Chapin who said, every action of our lives touches on some chord that will vibrate in eternity. Can I tell you this morning, your actions, your decisions affect your future. And I can even add to this, which is what we're going to be talking about. Your decisions and your actions affect your children. Clearly in our scripture, God says, if you ignore my law, then I will forget your children. I mean, think about that. That somewhere if you decide today to not serve God, then somewhere in the future your children will be forgotten by God. That somewhere God's presence, God's favor, God's connection won't be in touch with your descendants, with your children. And it goes down, it's the idea of a generational curse, that if you're willing to um, neglect or even ignore the things of God, that somewhere if you're willing to turn, turn your back on God, then your children will grow up seeing that very thing, and they have no issue rejecting God the way you did. This is why one of the decisions early on that we made in our church was to allow older children throughout the services. Obviously, Sunday morning, they're in children's church, but that they'll be in service because we want our children to watch their parents answer altar calls, to be touched by God and watch them react. I want my son to be able to see the way I react when God convicts me. That's somewhere I can turn to God. Which takes me to my second thought, which is when we ignore God's law, the consequence is separation. Church, our generation, millennials, is a product of disobedient parents. And many, many, many people try to blame millennials, right? We're in this thing because of those dang millennials. You know, we're in this place because of this. And, be, and it's a blame. Listen, millennials are who they are because of the actions of the previous generation. And somewhere you have to be able to link those things because we are living in the now. 
that somewhere as our children grow up, as our teenagers begin to live their lives, the actions and the things that you, t- that you make now, the decisions, will affect that generation. It will begin to affect how they live life. See, many are experiencing a rejection or separation from God because of their father's sins. This is the reality of a generational curse. Exodus chapter 20 um, verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's somewhere your actions begin to begin to be instilled in your children's life. And I know that's probably not a huge revelation to you because you know that the way you talk is the way your child talks. What you say, you ever said something that you didn't think your child was going to get it and then he says it? And you're like, he was listening. (laughs) There's somewhere, there's a connection. And listen, and I don't want you to overthink what a generational curse is because you can get to the whole charismatic extreme. There's somewhere there's a demon on your back because your dad was a demon. You know, like, there's a reality, and that is that there are spiritual dynamics involved in this. But the bare bones of a generational curse is that if a father, for example, is an alcoholic and he drinks in front of his son every single day, then what do you think his child is going to grow up thinking? That somewhere he'll follow the same path. That somewhere he'll take those steps. And listen, I'm not here to debate with you on the, on the exceptions or on the, on the select few, the person with a strong will or that person that turned to God. That's the idea that you can turn to God. But the reality is that somewhere you see these patterns in families. See, it sounds unfair for God to punish children for the sins of their fathers, doesn't it? However, there is more to it than that. The effects of sin are naturally passed down from one generation to the next. We see this in the bare example of Adam passing down the curse of sin throughout all the generations of of humanity. When a father has a sinful lifestyle, his children are likely to practice the same sinful lifestyle. And it's amazing because there's a statistic that says that 83% of families get saved when the father gets saved first. When the father makes that decision to come to church and bow down their life, that somewhere the family naturally follows that father. It's a drastic change when it comes down to a mother. I believe it's like 16%. Don't quote me on that exact number. But it is a ridiculous difference when a mother gets saved first. So what am I talking about when I, when I say generational curse? There's several things. There's a curse of alcoholism many times. You see, fathers abuse and alcohol. Many times there's drug abuse. There's also promiscuity. Conception, I believe is the word, out of wedlock. You see, mother will have a child out of wedlock and then, or grandmother, then mother, then daughter, and then daughter's daughter. And it's, it's almost like a, a trail of just not caring about God's standard when it comes down to sexuality. You see a pattern in divorce many times. Um, father divorces mother and that's what they see. So when they get married, that's all they know marriage is. In their mind, they say, well, there's an end. There's an expiration date to marriage. So somewhere my marriage will end. There's also incest. Many times you see incest in family and 
And this, this creates a whole demonic spiritual realm in that family. And incest becomes their pattern. They begin to ignore family lines and they begin to ignore things like that. What about poverty? There many times the, the whole, and I hate to say this, but a whole ghetto mentality like a poverty that somewhere that this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is the way we do things, and we're never going to come out of the hood. You ever heard that? This is just who I am, straight out of Compton. You know, like it's just somewhere, like it's just like the, you leave the hood, but the hood doesn't leave you, kind of, the kind of mentality. About rage. Many times you see fathers and mothers in rage, always angry, lifting up their voices, and that's how their children treat their children. They can't sit down and have a civil conversation. They've got to lift up their voice. How many families, church, do we see a linear pattern of sin? That you can just link, that you can just look at them and say, well, yeah, that's how their parents were. And somewhere, listen, you're, you're, not, you're not judging. It's just in your, mind, in your mind, you know. But you can connect the dots. You're just like, well, this person's like that because mom was like that or dad was like that. Grandpa was like that, and it goes on and on with all these different traces and, and, and all these different things. I wish that 23 and me could tell you spiritual matters, that these ancestries.com can reveal some of those things. Many times you can, you can link them generations and generations and generations of alcoholism. See, if we're going to neglect God's word, this is what's going to happen. If you're going to forget God's word and God's law, you're going to create this linear pattern of sin in your family. Obedience is said that it's the eye of the spirit. The failure to obey dims and dulls the spiritual understanding. Our environment is formed by what we tolerate in our lives. Our language creates a vibe in an environment. You have that friend that you never want to be around because of their language? You know, I'm not even talking about swearing or cussing. I'm just talking about they're just, they throw up on you all the time. You're like, bro, you're always complaining. Like, sis, all you do is gossip. I don't want, I don't want to hear it. And it creates this environment. Can I tell you this morning that everything in our lives has a language? Rebellion has a language. Witchcraft has a language. Depression has a language. Rage has a language. There's certain things that you can, the words that they speak, encouragement has a language. Revival has, lang, has a language. And everything, you can go on to on, different things, what people speak. It creates an environment. It creates a spiritual climate. You ever been around somebody that just brings you down? And you're just like, dude, like I was, I was doing good until I got near you. <laughs> it's like, it's a language. It creates a spiritual climate. See, I want to say this, though. Because if we're honest with ourselves, many times we can link our lives to sinful patterns. We begin to think, for example, me, whenever, whenever I, before I got saved, I was an alcoholic. I was drinking a lot. And nobody calls you an alcoholic when you're 18 years old because you're 18. You're just partying. But my dad was involved in a lot of alcohol. My my, uh, my grandpa, before he got saved, drank a lot. My, my uncles, all of them, many of them deported because of alcohol. You know, and, and, I, and I can link all these linear patterns. Like, man, I'm, I'm going the same way because somewhere that's just, that's just what I know. Can I tell you this morning? 
that even if it's not your fault, it's your problem. One of the things that I struggled with in this area was I would always tell God, God, it's not my fault. I didn't open that door. Like, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't make that decision. You know, growing up, one of the things that I struggled with was just perversion and just my mind. I remember walking by when I was five years old, you know, walking by a neighbor's house, and he had his door wide open watching pornography, exposed to it. You know, and somewhere, listen, and, and I begin to tell God, God, it's, I didn't choose that. Like, why, why do I have to deal with it? Like, why, why do I have to, why is it, and, and reality is that even if it's not your fault, it's, it's your problem. See, we can't play the blame game. You ever, you ever play the blame game? When you start to point at people, you fix it because it's your problem. And you begin to go all these different things, and, and listen, somewhere blaming won't help. Like, you can't, you can't just blame and expect for things to get um, fixed. I mean, if you guys ever been through that at work? When somebody will come and just make it a point to tell you, you messed up. Okay, I messed up, but let's fix this. <laughs> like, okay, it's fine that you want to blame. It's fine that you want to finger point, but let's find a solution. So you have to understand something, church, and that is that this is your life. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's your life. Now turn to your other neighbor and tell them, take dominion. Aren't you tired, Christian? Of doing what everybody else is doing? Aren't you tired of your marriage going the same place as your marriage, the other marriages are going? Aren't you tired this morning, Father, of dealing with your children that are doing the same thing other children are doing? And you're just like, gosh, aren't you tired this morning? Fall in the same way everybody else is. Same trends. Same thing. I tell people all the time. I tell marriages, couples. Tell them you want your marriage to be different. You're going to have to live different. You can't, you, can't, you can't live like the world. If you want what the world has, then do what the world does. But if you want something different, you can't do what they do and then expect something different. Church, you're going to have to own up to your own sin. There is a trend in the church today to try to blame every sin and every problem on some sort of curse. And they'll try to blame it or they'll try to link it to something. And listen, there's a place to try to figure things out about family. There's a place to try to link and say, well, this is what my family is like. This is my generation. This is, where, this is what I, de- I kind of default to. Okay, that's fine. But you're going to have to take dominion. And it's not enough just to blame things. It's not enough just to link them. Well, I'm like this because of my father. Okay, let's change that. I'm like this because of my mother. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's ask God to break that. This morning, what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that you might be sitting here in this sermon, and you're like, my goodness, God is revealing something to you. And you're saying, I have, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in the midst of a generational curse. I'm in the midst of something. I'm like my father. I'm like my mother. I'm taking the same steps that everybody else is stepping. I'm doing the very same thing. My family looks the same way. I'm stuck in this cycle of poverty. I'm stuck in this cycle of, of alcoholism, of drug abuse, of, all, of rage, of depression, of all these different things. I talk to my, my husband the way my mom talked to my father type of stuff. I talk to, and vice versa, that somewhere you find yourself, you identify yourself in these cycles, these curses, but somewhere you say, I've had enough. 
I've had enough of what I'm going through. And somewhere you can't use blame as a cop-out. You can't just say this is what it is. This is who I am. Somewhere you're going to have to understand that generational curses, family curses are real. But what's also real is the blood of Jesus Christ. What's also real is the Spirit of God that can break these very strongholds in your mind. But it's going to take your will being submitted to God's will. In our scripture, it literally deals with the ignoring or the forgetting of God's law. That somewhere a group of people know what it is, but they don't do it. That's, that, that many times encapsulates or describes many addictions or many addicts or many people. I know what I should be doing, but I'm not. I want to close on my third point, and that is that generational curses can be broken. Some of you guys should have shouted for joy right there. Pastor, you mean I don't have to be the way I am? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Say cleanse. This goes beyond forgiveness. I know forgiveness is divine. But cleansing, it says it cleanses from all unrighteousness. Not only can you be forgiven this morning, you can be cleansed. It was Corey Boom who said an unrepented sin is a continued sin. The key to generational curses being broken has always been repentance. It always has been repentance. If you are unwilling to repent, then you will continue in the curse. Let's consider Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3, um, verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. I want you guys to see he had authority. He was a Pharisee. He knew God's law. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. But for no one can do these, these signs that you do unless God is with them. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much you know God's word, you must be born again. Amen? Amen. That you need to repent. Remember the time when John the Baptist was going to baptize Jesus and the Pharisees show up and they want to get baptized. But he tells them, well, you must repent. The key to breaking any type of stronghold or yoke of sin has always been repentance. And see, I want you guys to really understand what repentance is. You cannot obtain salvation without being born again, right? In the Bible, the word repent means a little bit different than what most people think. Most people would say repent means to turn away from sin. And that is a truth to repentance. The word repent actually means throughout the Bible to change one's mind. There was a meta prefix to the actual word. I'm not sure if it's meta morphous or metamenaling, something like that, I forget. But the word meta means to change. That somewhere when you repent, when you truly repent, that God will begin to change your mind or that you change your mind. You say, I am not going to do that. I won't, fall in the I won't follow the same curses, the same steps. The Bible also tells us that true repentance will result in a change of actions. This is why many times you can lick even wardrobe 
to people who have gotten saved. That somewhere, many times you'll see people or, you know, somewhere they're, they're, they're just the lack of modesty many times, especially in our generation, amen? They'll come to church and they'll get saved and somewhere they want to cover up. Because there's a, there's a change. Somewhere their mind is working different. This is why many times you see radical changes, radical choices, apart from like strongholds and things that they have to work towards. Many times you see an alcoholic get saved, never touch alcohol again. Their mind changed. That somewhere this repentance was go- went beyond that. Luke chapter 3 verse 8 says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, there's fruits linked to repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Blame game. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children for Abraham. There's an awesome quote that I ran into that says, No man is ever more than four steps from God. And that's conviction, repentance, consecration, and faith. I'm going to repeat that one more time. There is no man who is ever more than four steps from God. Conviction, repentance, consecration, and faith. You will not have change in your life if you do not repent truly. I'm not speaking about feeling bad. There's a difference. Some of you guys know there's a difference when you get caught. You feel bad. I always tell my son, you feel bad because you got caught. If you wouldn't have gotten caught, you would have kept on going. But see, repentance is when you get a revelation and say, I don't care if I get caught or not. I, I don't want to. I'm I'm wrong. I've turned my, I'm not in relationship with God. There is no covenant. Repentance has always been the key. This morning, if you're in a generational curse, or if you're in this family cycle, or if you're following the same steps, somewhere you're going to have to truly repent. Confess your sins to God and begin to say, I do not want to be in those steps. And you take those actions to do that. See, throughout the Bible, I was, I was, in prayer, um, God, you know, I'm just talking back to God. God spoke to me that throughout life, it's always been about resisting the devil and pursuing God. That is the key. It's always, it's not just once. It's every time you encounter temptation is you set up this word reject. It, what it has to mean to you is that you set up the appropriate parameters so that you won't get involved in that. Amen. One of the easiest examples is when it comes down to purity. If you want to remain pure as a Christian, if you want to remain pure sexually as a Christian, then you're not going to spend time alone with the opposite sex. That's an appropriate parameter. That is things that you take. Those are standards. As a married um, person, you have parameters. If you don't want to cheat on your wife, you don't talk to the opposite sex late at night. You don't go out to dinner by yourself. Oh, we're just friends. It doesn't matter. You're putting yourself in that tough situation. You resist. But that's just the first part. The second part is you begin to seek God. Repentance. You begin to look for God. You begin to seek his heart. I want to tell you this morning. If you do identify yourself as a person who's had their family van stolen, that somewhere you are not far away from God's grace. That you're not far away from breakthrough. That a curse can be broken this morning. Do you guys believe that? That somewhere you can fall out of step in this cycle. That you don't have to be. It's kind of, depending on your situation, you don't have to be like your dad. You don't have to be like your mom. 
God loved them, you know. God loved them, but somewhere, I don't have to take those same decisions. You know, it was one of the things that I hope for dearly in my heart. It's not so much that, that Titus will see the correct actions that I make, but that he will learn from my mistakes. That somewhere he'll be able to link things like, oh, I saw my dad fall in that hole. I know there's a hole right there, so I'm going to avoid that. Somewhere you're going to have to have that mindset. My mom was like this, and God loved her, but somewhere I don't want to be like that. I don't want to raise my children that way. I don't, I don't want to be a Christian that way. I want to go beyond that. It's always been about pursuing God's heart and following his ways. The issue in our scripture was not so much that there was a witch that placed a curse. Or somewhere they stepped into this dark abyss door that they shouldn't have. No, it's simple. They ignored God's law. They ignored what God said. And this created this cycle in the children. And you constantly see Israel in that. Church, there was generations that didn't see the promised land after deliverance. Think about that. God hooked them up, delivered them from Egypt. And then somewhere they couldn't find themselves to make it into the promised land because they've ignored God's law. James chapter 4 verse 7 if we can open our Bibles there. James chapter 4 verse 7. Say amen when you're there. Verse 7 says submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee for you. From you. Verse 8, check this out. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's the opposite of what we read in Hosea. In Hosea, he says, you forget my law, I forget your children. In James, verse 8, it says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to tell you this morning, disciple, man of God, a woman of God this morning, Mom, Dad, God doesn't want to see you live in that curse. God doesn't want to see you taking the same steps your parents did. God wants to break you from that. God wants to deliver you from that mindset. And I'm not saying that God's going to change your culture. You're always going to be part of your family. It's the place God puts you. Your mom is always going to be your mom. And listen, this morning, I'm not trying to say that that we're turning Jehovah Witnesses. And we can't talk to our parents anymore. We can't talk to our families. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are spiritual correlations to people's decisions that affect their children. And believe it or not, this morning, you are your parents' child. And there are th things that they've done that have affected you. That should be a revela revelation to some of you guys. You should be looking in the mirror tomorrow. It's like, I know why I'm crazy now. Shoot. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to figure this out all my life. And it was in the Bible the whole time. Because of our, our father's, our mother's decisions. Can we be different this morning? Can we cry out to God and say, God, break these chains. Break these cycles. Break these curses. Completely break them. You see all kinds of different curses. I've mentioned incest, alcoholism, out of wedlock stuff. You know, somewhere you begin to break those things and say, that's not going to be the case with my children. That's not going to be the case with me. That's not going to be the case with my family. Here in a few moments after an altar call, we're going to pray 
for people who identify themselves in these things. And this is why I called my sermon Killing Curses, because this morning we're going to go on a killing spree. We're going to begin to kill curses. We're going to start breaking some things, break the yoke of sin so that sin won't have an influence in your life anymore. So that the patterns of sin will begin to change and begin to transform in your life. And somewhere you can align yourself in a different cycle. And that is in a path with God. Amen. Let's, let's bow our hearts. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.